0: What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. We finally give our USAPL-IPF relationship takes, opinions, uh, a late take, if you will, and we had an unofficial co-host of Two White Lights, Sean Noriega, on to give his insight on that. We made a Two White Lights post comparing the USAPL and IPF to the Monday Night Wars of WWF and WCW back in the 90s, and... On the comments, Mr. Noriega offered to come on the show and actually tell us why he thinks the USAPL will benefit in the long term, and that is particularly what we talk about. Uh, We just dive into why the USAPL will benefit in the long term, and this is a good episode because we have some debates in between. We give our takes, we give our opinions, of course, Uh, and this is a good discussion, and When Sean Orega offers to come on the show and we have a chance to talk, uh, Steve, Sean, and I, just take the opportunity because usually just a good conversation happens. It's fun for me. I know it's very fun for the listeners uh, and also insightful. So some good opinions here, some good insights, and uh, yeah, I don't know if it's going to make anything better from here on out, but uh, at least you can walk away with something new, maybe something you didn't know before, or at the very least, you just get some entertaining opinions on this. But, before we get into this episode, got to talk to guys about Lefflar Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, go to LeftLarBros.com and get yourself some LeFlar Bros merchandise. They have the best merchandise in powerlifting right now because they continuously come up with new, fresh, dope designs that have progressed so much since the first time i saw them and now and they are coming out with joggers with uh some more dad hats i got a dad hat in the mail which is just beautiful and tank tops they are continuously putting out the best merchandise the most quality merchandise is going to help you look good in the gym on a platform and off the platform as well, they're a triple threat. Use promo code 2WL15 to save yourself some money on LeftFlar Bros merchandise. Use that promo code, the best promo code of powerlifting, 2WL15 to save yourself some money. Also, if you're on leftlarbros.com you definitely gotta get yourself some two white lights merchandise as well. Two white lights merchandise is sold exclusively on LeftFloor Bros. We ourselves have a lot of different designs with two white lights, so make sure you're checking all those out. We got dad hats as well. We got some banners too. You can use the same promo code and be on the lookout for more designs and drops from two white lights as well, but you can only get on leftflowerbros.com. Also, make sure you are going to lift.net and get yourself some Stoic gear. We had two Stoic gear athletes on the podcast today, me and Mr. Noriega, and we wear Stoic because we love Stoic. It is fantastic quality equipment that we wear in the gym and on the platform. And also, it's affordable, and it could be even more affordable, affordable I'm sorry. if you use promo code ANGELO10 to save yourself some money. So they got, in my opinion, the best knee sleeves and powerlifting, amazing singlets, amazing wrist straps, all at an affordable price, but also use that promo code ANGELO10 to save yourself some money. Also, speaking of saving yourself some money, notorious no-slip-drip deadlift slippers, has a promo code now, ang15. Save yourself some money on that, and be on the lookout for those drops. The last drop that they had with the all whites, they had the black and gray, and I believe they re-released the stealth. Went quick, so make sure you're signing up for the newsletter. Make sure you're being on the lookout for those drops because those sell out very quick. Because you're going to find a slipper that matches your deadlift, or as it matches your gym attire, your platform attire, and you do not want to miss out on it. So use promo code ang15. This ang15 to save yourself some money. On those slippers, and make sure you sign up for that newsletter for the drop, and follow them on Instagram as well, because they announce all of the stuff that they're dropping on Instagram. Also, make sure you are subscribing on Apple Podcasts, you a five star rating, leave a review. We are also available on Spotify, so make sure you're following us there, and you can also listen to us on TwoWhiteLights.com. And without further ado, here it is: Two White Lights.
1: Baby I like it bo Baby baby I
2: like it bo Baby baby I like it bo Baby I like it bro. Shimmy shimmy yo shimmy yeah shimmy you Give me the mic so I can take a walk off on the natural Charles bone for y'all
0: Yeah from the home of the Dodgers Brooklyn squad It is Friday September 10th and we are giving our very, very late takes on this whole USAPL IPF thing with the most agreeable man in powerlifting, never has a controversial opinion ever, one of Two White Light's favorite sons. He's racking up the league lead on appearances, Sean Noriega.
2: How are you, man? What is going on, Angelo? Thank you for having me on today. And it's uh, it's great to be here with my handsome coach as well, Steve DeNovi. Thank you for welcoming me. Yeah, I, thought, I thought I was getting introduced, based <laughs> off of what you just said
1: there.
0: Yeah. Well, you, you have controversial opinions, but you never get any shit for it. Me and Noriega get shit for controversial opinions, even though you said them. So I, no, I get DMs about Sean, or, or at least...
1: Post about Sean. So, yes, I get controversial things directed at me from him. Do you really? That's hilarious. Yeah, not really too much. Sometimes. Not not a ton. I actually think Angelo gets – or Joe gets some for Angelo too. I know he gets some for Pug. Oh, yeah, he, he really definitely some got for some, some for Pug. I haven't I've gotten many for Sean, but I've gotten some. I've probably gotten more people annoyed at me for Sean than annoyed at me for what I said on Two Light Lights. Yeah,
0: because everyone, everyone defers it to Angelo. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're hoping to change that very soon, just so you can feel the pain of me and Noriega go through. But we made that post yesterday on the USAPL and IPF. I think everyone has pretty much delivered a take so far. Uh, this, so this is, I, I guess, is kind of late. But at the same time, I think what is not being discussed a lot is who's going to benefit in the long run more, the USAPL or the IPF from this whole relationship uh, and this falling out that's happening. And you made a comment on Two White Lights, uh, Mr. Noriega, on how you like to explain that the USAPL will benefit in the long term. And we're going to discuss that along with, along with uh, our our opinions as
2: well on this. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, honestly, like, I I've seen, you know, arguments on either side just about who is in the right and who is in the wrong. But I think that one thing, like you said, that really isn't getting discussed is like, with the top USAPL lifters, what are they going to do? And I think even amongst the ones who have made decisions like competing for USVI and and some other stuff that we'll talk about, you know, uh, during this podcast, I feel like a lot of them are not thinking about like what's what's going to happen in the long term. Because the way that I see it is, I I genuinely do think that the USAPL is going to win out on this, and a lot of people are going to come back. Mm-hmm. Well, I, so, why 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 are you in? A- Why do you believe that? So the way, I guess the way that I would describe this is these lifters who are, you know, obviously for the, you know, if you somehow don't have the backstory here, um, you know, there are lifters who are competing on behalf of the U S Virgin Islands um, at IPF worlds this year, because the USAPL was suspended over water rules. We don't need to go into the specifics. It's been discussed ad nauseum, but they're competing for the U.S. Virgin Islands, and one of the more recent developments that I think is causing some panic is that there are lifters who are withdrawing from the pro-invitational in Virginia um, because you need to be a member of or essentially denounce your USAPL membership and compete for the U.S. Virgin Islands you know, within this suspension year in order to have an opportunity to compete at Worlds next year. And I guess the way that I look at it is it's like people are like panic selling in a bull market kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like I see a lot of potential in the USAPL going forward. And I think that these lifters are essentially scared of like they're panicking because of scarcity where they almost had their world championship opportunity stripped away from them. And by, you know, some miracle, there was a loophole that allowed them to compete this year. Right. On behalf of the U.S. Virgin Islands. And I think that seeing there's a very close opportunity for the next world, they want to, like, snag it before they they experience that loss again. But the long-term issue, I think, that is going to arise is that it, it does look incredibly, incredibly likely, I would say, all but certain that the USAPL leaves. Um, this issue doesn't really seem reconcilable between both federations. And I think that what's going to happen is very quickly, like this... This feeling of, oh, my God, I need to capture this opportunity before it gets away from me is soon going to fade when for many USAPL lifters, not only will you not have the, you know, competitiveness at the world level, but you also won't even have to really accomplish much to qualify for Worlds, right? You know, if you're going to go compete in the U.S. Virgin Islands on behalf, you know, if you're a U.S. lifter going to compete at U.S. Virgin Islands Nationals, you're not going to have a very hard time winning that. And for many weight classes, you're not going to have a hard time winning the world championship. And I think a lot of them are, are, you know, citing the, the glory associated with winning a world championship. But I think you give it a year, you're going to notice like, wow, I didn't have to win anything to get here. And I didn't really beat anybody better than who was back home. And I think that once that novelty or that, you know, that the high that they're on right now kind of wears off, I think they'll be back because you can't do that every year. Right? You're not going to fly once a year to compete in a meet that essentially is just like a, a mock meet for you because there's really not too much strategy that's going to go into it to then compete at Worlds. I just think that there's going to be you know, reduction in skill practice in competing. There's going to be less actual competition that you experience both in qualifying and in getting there. And I think a lot of people are just pulling out of that meet prematurely. Like the, the, the pro-invitational meet, I think that people are making moves too hastily. Um, and I think that one of the things, if not for worlds that people are holding out on is Sheffield. Um, and I really think, you know, I think that it's going to be a great meet when it happens, but I think most of the allure of it is that it's never happened. Right. Yeah. We were promised it in 29 2020. It didn't happen. 2021 was obviously a wash as well. And I mean, COVID issues, you know, waning vaccine efficacy, whatever is going to lead to the next set of lockdowns or restrictions or whatever, I would bet that whatever the tentative plan is for it may get delayed even further. I don't know the specifics of when it's planned for, so I won't you know, give any hard numbers or anything. But I think most of the allure and, and desire to hold on to IPF is in Sheffield. Um, but it's never happened, so there's a lot of uncertainty there. And honestly, with the way that it's laid out, I don't really see how it's that much different than the pro series, right? Like the cash that's being described as being on the line with the USAPL not having to pay fees is very comparable. And I feel like when this event happens, you're going to get there and be like, wow, this was the pro series, except in a country with shittier food. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I was about to say, when uh, people were talking about
0: Sheffield, and I believe the plan for the USAPL is make the Pro Series, and the big thing is going to be the Arnold. That's going to be like our Olympia sort of thing, yeah. and we talked about it on Two White Lights, and the, the funny conversation I've had was... Uh, man, we're going to do the Arnold as our big thing, and they have Sheffield. I'm like, I'm going to go on record and say I think Columbus, Ohio, and Sheffield is probably the same sort of, like, feel as far as cities go. Like, it's not exactly London, UK. Also, I apologize to all of our Sheffield I mean, Sheffield's not London either. (laughs) Yeah. Well, exactly what I'm saying. Like, it's not exactly... And I apologize to all of our, you know, people from Sheffield who listen to the show. I apologize for this. But I just don't like you said it hasn't happened yet and i think people are holding off on it for a long for just the what they've seen or what they were promised which oh, i will agree is a fantastic sounding meme. very highly produced very professional that's what i really want in the sport is just more productive value and more professionalism with the sport and i think sheffield's going to deliver on that but to echo what you're saying i think a lot of powerlifters are incapable of looking too far ahead They don't plan for the future. I think they always make decisions based on what's shiny and what's in front of them. So Worlds is a knee-jerk reaction because it's three weeks away. So you want to compete at Worlds, and it's the closest meet. I could say the same thing about the showdown. People really wanted an invite for showdown when they saw other people get it. Now, no one really wants it because it hasn't been marketed as much, and people have been dropping out. So the interest isn't there anymore. Um... I just think of powerlifters in general are incapable
2: of long-term planning. Yeah. And to go back to what you said about the Arnold, like I think people are kind of, if if I haven't heard that perspective, like people kind of saying like, oh, the Arnold, like we're kind of spoiled over here. I think it's like something like 300,000 people over the course of that week or in and out. Like how many people do you really think are going to be at Sheffield? Like, (laughs) If the USAPL has the money to then beef up the Arnold as its main event, not only do you have the massive influx of spectators for the entire expo, now you can promote that even bigger and and probably draw a larger percentage of that normal expo crowd for the competition. And in general, as we've seen in Arnold's that we've competed at, plenty of people make the trip just to be there, right, to to watch. Internationally, too. Yeah, I think it's kind of silly to say, like, oh, the Arnold. It's like we've been been spoiled to have – that as just like an every year event i I mean i think the arnold is when it's normal obviously 2020 was a a bit of a you know a wash but when the arnold's normal i think it's one of the most fun weekends in in powerlifting and in fitness in general so um yeah i mean that's i I think that that could potentially be fantastic i think if they do the arnold right perhaps you know because we've had the the Grand Prix, right, has been on the, in the actual expo, right? Like the, the pro-American and, and stuff like that has been in, in what is it, Seapod or whatever the fuck it is. Um, but with more money, more of an emphasis, since the Arnold's always kind of just been an exhibition rather than a main, you know, main event, I don't see why it can't be absolutely massive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and if you're a powerlifting like,
0: fan, you will see everyone in powerlifting there. That's, that's one of the, when I first attended the Arnold 2019, that's what I saw. And that's what I remember the most, literally everyone that I looked up to and followed on Instagram or something when I was, or 29, uh, I think it was 2018 actually when I attended was there, I met them and it was just a fun weekend because of that. in many ways it's better in nationals, uh, because of just the amount of people within that city. Um yeah. so I yeah I, I again I will echo what you said and then also with the the Nationals with USVI Nationals this is an interesting uh, development because yeah if you go to USVI Nationals then the competition won't be as strong as na- uh, raw Nationals but then it's the goal it's a, free, it's a free pass yeah, it's but, a free pass That's but then the, fun, the the even the fun the, the funnier thing is you're going to a competition where you could potentially also blow the competition out of the water we just did a preview with IPF Worlds, and we're looking at the seventy fours and being like, Atwood is a hundred hundred kilos plus better than the next person, and then fifth place in the United States based on just nominated totals is number one. Like, you're going to potentially go to this nationals meet where there's not a lot of competition to go to another meet where there's not as much competition. Like, is that what you're is that what you're aiming for? I I'm very confused at this whole prestige thing. I think prestige is what you make of it. And I, I even look at the 83 kilo class. I I want to ask Russ, just personally, if he knows the people he's competing against. Has he ever heard them in his, in his life? There's his two main competitors at 83. I'm like, D- do you know who these people are? Like, I kind of do, because one of them's Italian. But, like, the I don't know the other 83s. Like, can, well, how is this prestigious when in nationals top five you knew all of us and you knew if you slipped up we were gonna win
2: Yeah. no i mean you're absolutely right i mean you know it's i I don't blame the people taking the opportunity to go compete at worlds three weeks from now especially since they they earned their spot by winning raw nationals but i think like the underlying you know reason anybody wants to go to worlds is i'm a world champion right Mm -hmm. and there's always been been glory in that but i think if you really look at it now um you know with the exception on the men's side with the exception of like the fifty-nine kilo class, we blow everybody out. Right? Like that's just objectively the case. And as time passes, like I said, you know, that that glory, once people start to introspect, it's like, okay, what did I really do? I didn't win a nationals for real to get here. And you know, and, and with this year, with worlds being the same week as nationals, it's like you could win Nash, you could win worlds. And then go look back at the live stream for nationals and be like, damn, like one through three, you know, were, you know, at Worlds were, you know, beaten by, I don't know, 10 through seven in the U.S. Or maybe I won Worlds and got out totaled by someone back home. Mm -hmm. So a perspective that I do understand within
1: this this is going to relay a question to Sean, because you're the one that has experience in this aspect is. I think the emotion we're seeing and the primary people showing the emotion over this that seem to have this recency bias and care for IPF are these people that have most likely never been to worlds before. And their entire identity of training over the last three, four, whatever years has been, I want to make it to IPF world. They did it. It got ripped away. I think we're. I, I can understand that. I can understand that your entire basis for why you trained was a specific reason, and then three weeks away, it gets ripped away, and the emotion that comes from that and how you want to cling to it. Fortunately, a lot of those are going to get their opportunity. You've gotten your opportunity, and I think what we've seen from a lot of people that are not as emotional about this that had their spot were people who have done this multiple times that seem to be able to let go of it a bit easier because – they don't have the same prestige for it, and it's not the same experience, unlike your first time. And so, Sean, I guess that kind of relates to you. You've been to IPF Worlds. I know, as your coach, you don't put a ton of stake of going to IPF Worlds and being a world champion. You care more about winning nationals. If you want to kind of give your perspective there, yeah. So first, I'm going
2: to be a bit uh, not necessarily self-deprecating because I don't I, I don't do that, but more so just like downplaying worlds. Like it was juniors when I went. And I think that that's worth making a distinction for. So I've not yet been to an open world. And I think that that's a big, a big distinction. Like if I, had, I think if I were in the shoes of someone who won nationals, I would probably want to go to worlds, not because I would find more um, glory in it necessarily, but it would feel like it would be the closure to say, okay, like I actually am, you know, the best, right. It's like, I won nationals. Let me put the nail in the coffin and just seal, you know, tie it up with a bow and that's it. Um, but I think with powerlifting, and this is kind of a perspective I've given before, is like, you know, for the most part, it's not like baseball. It's not like football, where you need to play. Well, I guess football you don't. But like with baseball, for example, like you're playing seven games in a World Series, right? Like anyone can really win. In powerlifting, if you are convincingly stronger than someone, like you're likely going to win. Uh-huh. So so if there's a you know, if there's a significant disparity in strength levels at the international level compared to the national level, I'm pretty objective in saying, okay, what's more impressive? If I win raw nationals or if I go, you know, circumnavigate nationals and and go compete at Worlds, I just want to compete against whoever has the highest total in my weight class and has the best reputation for for winning and putting together consistent performances. Um, I I don't know what, what leads me. In particular, to not care as much about worlds, but I think it's—I think it mostly stems from what I just said. That I think the numbers in powerlifting are just—they're just very objective compared to other sports, and we—we we know who the best in the world is. We don't need to see a world championship, at least with this competitive pool that we have in 2021, to say that. Maybe five years ago, six—you know, four or five years ago, we did. But I just—we have it. the U.S. has.
0: It. Yeah, I think the allure the allure of it makes sense to me because I think it's just pulling the best of the best and then putting it in this one competition. But eventually, it it's what you make of worlds because at a point, I think the like the pendulum swings on the other side where it's just not as important a competition for other lifters. And I mean, evidence of this and this is also kind of gets lost in translation here. Atwood just didn't. Ex- want to do Worlds. And he said on Two White Lights that the IPF competing in Worlds is overrated at times. A lot of people are just ignoring this whole factor because a lot of people are talking about the glory and the prestige and all this stuff from IPF Worlds, which I agree, it's all there. When you're classified as a world champion and you win against the best of the best in the world, of course there's prestige there, but to certain lifters it just doesn't exist. And I I don't know how that's been ignored or lost. I And...
2: He, he's another I, lifter. He's been there, done that. Yeah. Did I, I don't know the answer to this. That's why I'm asking. Did he have some kind of extenuating circumstance for not doing Worlds this year? Because, I mean, he's planning to stick around. Like, from what I've heard, he's he's not doing the Virginia meet anymore. He wants to stay, you know, have the option open to compete in the IPF. And from what I've heard, like, he, he's doing it because the IPF, I guess, has the you know, closest path to the Olympics or something along those lines. Well, I
0: he, on two actually, 2 by lights he kind of okie-doked me a little bit because I thought he was doing Worlds and not the pro-invitational. Then he completely flipped it, like, 15 minutes after we were done recording. He made an announcement that he was doing the pro-invitational. I'm like, thanks, Atwood. Or it made me look like an asshole. But uh, I don't know the reason why he's doing it. Um, I know the Olympics is something that he values. He has made posts about it, like, that power, it wouldn't be great if powerlifting got into the Olympics. And I think for international competitors, um, more so, the Olympics is more of an attractive option for them. So, and for a few Americans too, uh, because they have government funding and all that stuff, like they actually do will get paid to be in the Olympics. But on the American side, we don't have the lore because we don't get paid for the most part if they do the Olympics. And to, we're more of a professional sport-driven country. And did they realize
1: they have to switch to single ply if they care about the Olympics? Because that's <laughs> the path to the Olympics is single
2: ply. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the world. I, I, yeah, exactly. I, I think if powerlifting became an Olympic sport, right? Like, I, I don't mean to burst Taylor's bubble or anybody else's, but I'm going to. Is I genuinely don't believe that the that powerlifting or the IPF is going to become an Olympic sport. Um, I just genuinely don't believe it will. But if it were to, it's very clear that the steps that have been taken to legitimize it are in the realm of single ply. Like the World Games is a single ply sport. So you'd have to throw in a suit and a shirt and all that, you know, if you wanted to actually pave some sort of path for yourself to the Olympics, because you're not going to have a raw and single ply division of a sport that, you know, isn't even, it has a very low probability of getting into the Olympics, much less two versions of it. And also, I think, again, the
0: allure of the Olympics is recency bias. We just saw the Olympics on TV. We see people post it, and then we forget about it for three years. I still, I mean, I've said it enough on Two White Lights, but I just still don't get the Olympics. Even if we do become an Olympic sport, I do not understand why that should be the goal. When we have evidence of professional athletes in this country who are like yeah I'll do the Olympics but that's mostly just almost like a PR move at times just to do the Olympics and represent your country and most of them are like no I can't really do the Olympics cuz I got to dedicate my time to the one that I actually get paid millions of dollars to do
2: and Well yeah I mean, I, yeah it, but that's because like you said like in this country we are our, our sports industries are are multi billion dollar right so for the sports that don't have that you know let's say cycling you know track and field gymnastics right like those sports do value the olympics i wouldn't necessarily say it's recency bias like i i mean i know plenty of people that i grew up with and and people still who are like my my goal is to be an olympian like i have friends who did track and field and now they're in like their mid-20s and they're going to the olympic training center like tell me what sports pick up i'll do fucking speed cycling i'll do you know whatever yeah so i
0: think the reason why i bring it up powerlifters only bring up the Olympics when the Olympics are happening. They do not bring up the Olympics, especially just in the United States in the three years where the Olympics aren't happening. Like that's the only time I really see powerlifters. Like, man, wouldn't it be cool to be in the Olympics? Like you didn't say this to me for the past three years, but now because you see the Olympics on TV,
2: you think it's cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any comment on that just because I haven't – I don't. I can't say that I've experienced that, or, that conversation or not. Um, but I mean, for me, I don't want it to be in the Olympics because of, of WADA. Like I just genuinely, and you know, I know it kind of brings it back to like the whole, you know, which side is right, which side is wrong. But like, I just, I, I think the reason that we, we do well in the IPF, you know, and the reason that we succeed, you know, and, and dominate in the IPF is that, well, genetically we have a good, you know, we have a very good pool of, of lifters. But I think that without the incentive of Olympic sports, you kind of have like probably the tier two athletes compete um, and maybe not willing to, you know, either not willing to, to, you know, use drugs as much, or maybe they are not, um, you know, they don't have the ease with which or the funding to, you know, potentially skirt by, Um, you know, we had like Russia get banned, you know, a while back. Um, My, my suspicion and, and, just based on what we've seen with weightlifting and just Olympics in general, is that if powerlifting became an Olympic sport, we would just see a lot more doping. And, you know, you'd have like the, like we had a couple of years ago, like the random Kazakhstani lifter who just comes in and it's like, it was a nobody for years and then he comes in and, you know, wins and, you know, beats Gibbs or whatever. Just like, I very much believe that every top lifter in the USAPL is natural. And, like, that's the, the level of, you know, testing rigor that I want to compete against, because I just have no desire to use steroids to compete. So, I think if it became an Olympic sport, many other countries would have the funding and incentive to use.
0: Yeah, I mean, how many times I had to rewrite the record books for the weightlifting in the Olympics because of how many people tested positive?
2: Yeah, I mean, like, they pulled B samples, like, six years later, and they're like, oh, yeah, one through three, you're out. All right, number four, you win... Number five, you also pissed hot, and it's just like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a shit show. Yeah. So wrapping back around a little bit, we talked about, because
1: right now, obviously, there's not an affiliate, and yeah. if there is an affiliate that eventually pops up, then that allows some type of, we'll get to that in a little bit, possibly, of like how that's going to possibly work in USAPL versus the new affiliate, but uh, something that's been lightly discussed, like as of right now, the USAPL is not left. Yeah. Um I have a I have a differing opinion than I think some of the people and it goes back to free market. Do you feel like the USAPL owes anything to leave the IPF right now versus serving their one year suspension which therefore blocks the formation of a new affiliate?
2: I mean, I think my my thinking on this is that it would strategically be smart even if the USAPL has full intention of leaving to just stay and, like, almost stall through the entirety of the suspension. I just feel like that would be a smart move on the Federation's end because I think you're going to see a successful Pro-Virginia meet. I think you're going to see a successful Nationals. I think you're going to see a successful start to the Pro Series. And if there were any possibility of two things, if there are any possibility of being able to sway USAPL lifters to stay, that would be the path I think that you would take. And I think if there were any possibility to, you know, convey to the IPF that they're missing out on not having these lifters, then that would be your path as well. Now, obviously it sounds pretty cut and dry that with goals of becoming IOC recognized or, you know, staying in good faith with the IOC, that having third party or, you know, independent testing, however you phrase it um, is just not compatible. But I would imagine that if there's any chance of, of, trying to reach some sort of compromise from, you know, the IPF side, um, that that would be the move. I, I, are you asking, like, you think the USAPL, like, owes its lifters, like an opportunity to compete by, by allowing the formation of a new Fed? Kind of, because some people said that would be unethical for them not to do that. I personally disagree, because
1: I'm not even looking at it as, like, a USA USAPL versus IPF. I'm just looking at it as just free market business. I, I don't believe that a business should be able to give up their, their leverage and advantage to,
2: in a sense, allow a competitor to come in and try and take them over. Like Yeah, no, that'd well, be, that's a bitch yeah, move to me. I, I don't think that you owe that either. Well, well,
0: here's the thing then, because again, based on a business practice, absolutely. You take that suspension, milk it for all it's worth, and don't have the IPF affiliate come in, but every single decision that's been made so far by the USAPL and IPF has been either followed or they previously state it's for the lifter. We're making these decisions for the lifter. I mean, and when you, you keep you on saying that,
2: that? like, yeah, but you can you keep argue? Can you not argue that them wanting to have, you know, sufficient funds by not paying the IPF and thus putting on all of these high production value cash meets, like, that's for the lifter. Right,
0: like oh yeah, just, you know. sure. But there's things like, but like it's at this point because I think a lot of decisions that the USAPL made and IPF made have not been for the lifter recently in this whole little petty war that they're having. I think it's a power play in a lot of ways, and I think it's positioning to have power over the other because I just smell yeah. bullshit on a lot of sides. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, it's for the lifter when you have a pro division, but also saying if you guys don't – or if you guys want to compete at an international level, you can join this new IPF affiliate who, you know, that's that's exactly who you would be able to compete for – compete with. Uh, that's, like – it's hard to go back on those words when, you know, like Larry on the podcast kind of said that already. He's like, I don't care where you compete – who you compete for. But then blocking that IPF affiliate it's kind of like contradicting yourself. I if, – if none of this was said and they didn't say these things initially – then I would have less of a problem with them going back, but you kind of put yourself in a corner by saying those things.
2: Well, you know? I don't. I don't think it's contradicting yourself because you do have an option to compete internationally. You can go compete for the U.S. Virgin Islands. I think the the you can make. The, and I'm not. And I'm not like a a hard loyalist in either direction. Like I'm definitely siding with the USAPL on this, mm-hmm. but I'm not. You know. I'm not inherently biased toward one over the other. But what I will say is I don't think it's contradictory because if you're saying I'm trying to create this package for the lifters, where we have high production value, where the competition level is high and there's a lot of cash on the line, that is my goal. And for that goal to take place, I need to make sure that I have the lifters, right? Like I need to make sure that I maintain you guys in our, in our membership and, just give us the time to build this out. If that's not something you want, you have a path to go compete in the IPF. And the USAPL is not the one barring them from coming back. The IPF is the one who has restrictions on where they can compete. So I don't think that it's contradictory. I don't think it's it's not for the lifter by doing that. I think it's like it's 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 like respect for your own business. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. For- yeah, for sure. I think based on business practices, absolutely you do this. Like this is a no-brainer. Like that is the, that is the ace card you have over the competitors, but I just see the backlash happening where it's it's going to be taken as either contradictory or it's like it's not for. But again, like we're well, we are way beyond it's for the lifter kind of thing between these two federations. I think we just are because I think they if it's for the lifter, you can easily compromise on all these things. But it's not. I don't think it's necessarily Ford or or for the lifter from both federations. Um, we'll see, though. I, I I really I was led to believe that the USAPL would leave, but when I was presented with the the notion that they have a 12-month suspension and they that will inherently block any sort of IPF affiliate, uh, I don't I don't know if they do that anymore. I just don't. Yeah. And this is echoed by a lot of lifters, by the way. Like a lot of lift, like a lot of people, a lot of lifters, a lot of people said it would be unethical for the USAPL to block an IPF affiliate. Now everyone has their own interests in heart, right? Because the people are saying that they they want the IPF affiliate because they don't like the USAPL. It's a conflict of Un- interest, of course.
2: Unethical. Unethical means when you do things that I don't like.
0: Pretty much. This is this has <laughs> been this is really has been like the entire who's in the right and who's in the wrong type of thing. I actually yeah. respect both federations on this because the USAPL is holding their values close to them and the IPF is holding their values close to them. There's a conflict there, right? So they're doing things that's better for them and they're doing things that's better for them. I am totally okay with that. It's it's The, the arguments that come in place from lifters pledging their allegiance to one federa- federation or the other is where I have a problem because... Like, you guys are just saying this because you're trying to protect your own asses. Because you don't want to bet on the losing horse. And that's, like, the conflict that I, I, I've seen. It, or they actually legitimately have a substantial investment or, uh, or reliance on the
2: Federation's health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one, one thing I kind of wanted to go back to is, I, you know, because you, you said you thought that it would be easy to compromise if it were for the lifter. But I I don't think that's true because I think, like, these federations have laws and they have principles. And I think the argument is very, like, it's a very deep-seated moral argument because the USAPL, you know, I, from what I've gathered about this whole debacle, and, and I could be wrong here, so correct me if I am, is that the USAPL – does independent testing for all of their local meets, basically. The majority of USAPL's testing is independent testing. But when we have, like, our national-level meets, I mean, I've been WADA tested at national-level meets per WADA compliance, right? We have our, you know, USADA affiliate or whatever you call it test us at those higher-level meets. And that is incompatible to the IPF because in order to maintain IOC recognition and stay in good faith, you need everybody WADA compliant. So the USAPL is protecting their belief of keeping the sport drug free at all levels, which I think is a very respectable stance to have because if you look at most drug test failures that we have and you go through the database, like you're not seeing a Ray Williams pop. You're not seeing Taylor Atwood pop. It's like you'll get a, you know, some rando at a local meet or some guy, you know, who just showed up to do bench worlds. It's like, you know, I, I think they do a good job with that. And and I know that people are complaining about, you know, like from international lifters, you're hearing a lot of complaints about how it's not difficult to want to comply. And, you know, we've talked about how we just have more meets and, and do more testing overall. But the point is, is that both sides are defending like what they believe to be morally correct. Right. Like the IPF is protecting the collective health of its entire organization so that it can reach what they believe to be the pinnacle. And the USAPL is making sure that they don't go back on what their mission statement was, which is to keep it clean. So I don't think that that's an easily compromisable issue, right? You know, for the lifter. I, I will say the one thing that, and again, I, I firmly believe it's not unethical, but I do think the one thing that the USAPL did that does definitely make things just hard to side with them on, is the fact that worlds is the same week as nationals. Um, because now what's happening is while I do think that a lot of these USAPL lifters who are already like, they're pulled out of the pro invite, they're like, all right, how do I get this flight to the Virgin islands in Virginia or in, uh, in February, you know, and how do I get to worlds? Um, you know, regardless of the fact that I think that that is a, a premature move and, and, They'll eventually see that this is not what they, you know, kind of think it is right now when emotions are high. Um, it puts a lot of people in difficult situations. You know, it puts coaches like Joey, it puts coaches like me in, in a tough spot because it's like, okay, I have lifters who are undoubtedly going to want to go to Worlds, but then I have lifters who are going to stay back in the U.S., and it's like you can't be there for for both of them. Um, granted, it's not like I – I don't think it should be like a, a – Um, it's not a concern of a ton of people, right? It's very few people that are going to have this logistical uh, obstacle, but I do think that it puts like the, the teams of lifters in, in difficult spots because now you're, you know, if you are a a Russ, right? I know that at least from what I've heard, you know, he really wants to to go to worlds again, but then it's like, if you're a, you know, a Delaney Wallace where it's like, okay, coach is going to be in, you know, wherever the hell worlds is next year. Do I leave? Do I stay? And I think that, it may have created somewhat of like an unintended consequence for USAPL in thinking like oh we're gonna stranglehold everyone to stay here and in reality because there are you know all these lifters have coaches and they have teams of lifters with whom they're closely competitive with um, you know it might it might lead, lead people to leave and it's just creating a lot of uncertainty I don't I don't see it as a, as a huge issue but it definitely is something that makes it you know, especially, like, I've talked to Joey about this a ton, and he's, like, super frustrated about it because, obviously, he has tons of people competing at, you know, nationals and then also people competing at Worlds. Um, so I don't know. I, I Like I said, I think, I think the USAPL wins this out long term, but there's definitely going to be um, a couple months of, of pandemonium in between. So I think it would have been... It,
1: it would have been better if it just wasn't the same week. Yeah. That would have been nice. But even with that, um, as coaches, if we decide to do anything with USAPL, we can't have anything to do with the IPF. Yeah. Whether we are currently banned or we leave the affiliate and or they leave affiliation and we're no longer an IPF affiliate, we're banned anyways from being a federation holding national meets um, and or international meets that are not IPF affiliated. So, in some way or the other we're going to have to choose one or the other. Like we can't, we won't be able to do both. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's where I, I don't think it's as huge of a deal, even though they, let's say they're a week apart. If you have lifters going to IPF Worlds and you have lifters going to the USAPL nationals one week before, you're going to have to choose one or the other either way, because if you go to USAPL nationals, you're now banned from going to IPF worlds.
2: Uh, Yeah. As a coach. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we're, we're going to have to choose no matter what, whether it's the same week or not. So and the USAPL is not the one
2: doing the banning. So, yeah, I am look good.
0: That is that is no. one thing I guess I do really come back to and I side with because I think when that happened, when I saw it was announced on the same week, one, I laughed very hard because I said on Two White Lights, I love the Petty Wars because IPF announcing that Worlds was in Sweden during our nationals, I'm like, yeah, that was an obvious power play by them. I actually applaud them for that because they were using business practices to get people interested in Worlds because... At the time, no one wanted to compete in Belarus. Now it's in Sweden, much better move for the IPF. Then when I saw the USAPL schedule nationals the same week as Worlds, I'm like, this is another power play. I giggled, but at the same time, I found out that I'm like, "This this is now conflicting with this whole it's for the lifter type of thing. We're trying to protect the health of the lifter, or we're trying to protect the health of our federation. I just, I, I, then I kind of swayed back to this is, again, just a political battle, battle between the two federations. But I always go back into the arguments I have on either King of the Lifts or someone else. We, as a federation, the USAPL does not ban lifters from competing elsewhere. How are we going to consistently side with the IPF over everything? We essentially have to bend the knee to them and say we will only compete in your umbrella federations and for you. How the fuck is that for the lifter? That is one of the things about the IPF. It's not even the water shit. That was the initial thing I had an issue with the with the IPF. It's constantly competing within their umbrella federations and getting punished for competing elsewhere. I now that like that's never brought up
2: in these arguments by pro IPF people. I think there's a caveat to that. I don't think you get banned for competing elsewhere. It's you get banned for competing elsewhere if there are other international lifters there or if there's someone banned. Like you could do a local meet well, yeah. and well, but, compete
0: IPF still. But, but if you do USAPL meets just in general where there's like – you're suspending – Well, we're not in face, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's like it, this is where it gets so diluted. It's You're accepting the lifters in the USAPL to compete at U.S. Virgin Islands, so apparently the lifters are WADA-compliant enough because you're allowing them to compete, just not under the federation that's apparently non-WADA-compliant. That makes no sense to me. So you're doing that, but then you can't compete with those lifters because they're suspended in the USAPL, but if they won nationals,
2: they wouldn't be suspended? Like, it's... (laughs) And well, I mean, yeah I mean, that's more in my mind, that move is far more of like a like a nonsensical political play than like the USAPL making their nationals the same week because the USAPL making their nationals the same week as worlds like has significance, right? It's like, where's the viewership going to be? Like they're trying to assert their dominance of who who actually draws the most viewership? who get, who brings the most entertainment value? And I think we can all agree. And, and probably, you know, uh, safely assume that USAPL National is going to have a higher viewership than, than IPF Worlds. I mean, it always is like that. But I would I would venture to say, even with next year, or probably even more so next year, if USAPL lifters, you know, decide not to go, and we definitely won't have as many USAPL lifters at Worlds next year as we normally do, um, since a certain percentage will definitely decide to stay back. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the if anything, the IPF's move of allowing that loophole is more, you know, petty, whatever you want to call it, right? Because there's no there's no real, you know, uh, actual, like, logic behind it in terms of what the core of the suspension was, you know, what the core of the suspension was for, which is, you know, uh, drug testing compliance. Because you know that competing in USVI, you're not going to have WADA showing up to... Russ' or Jesus' or Amanda's door any more frequently than they normally would and you're not going to have them get tested at USVI nationals any more than they did at our nationals because you can only test them once there. It's like, it's you know, it's obviously just an attempt to, to you know, skirt people away from, from the USAPL during this suspension which just, like I said the, the inherent, you know nature of, of this move doesn't, you know, make a lot of sense if you're thinking about it how you described Angelo. So, Angelo, I, I get you mentioned a couple times that
1: both sides are very obviously doing things that are not for the lifter. And while I can see that perspective, I would literally argue it's the opposite. It's just they've distinguished who they are functioning for. The IPF yeah. is very much functioning for people who value international competition and IOC recognition. If you are not one of those people, they are not caring about you. The USAPL is valuing high-level competition, but not necessarily IOC-recognized which is where the pro series is coming from is to try and fill the void of international competition. But even more so they're valuing the 99% of people that will probably never go to a national level meet. And this will kind of redirect the, the conversation a little bit to back to like who will win in the, in the realm of IPF versus USAPL. And I wouldn't even say IPF versus USAPL. It's going to be USAPL versus whatever possible new affiliate pops up. And the actual battlefront is less about the high-level lifters and more about the local scene. Uh, We talked about this on a past podcast, but, like, everyone always says, oh, USPA is, is the gold standard for untested, yet they have none of the top lifters. None. They all do WRPF. But it doesn't matter because WRPF has no ability to be able to compete with USPA on a local level. Even if we get a new affiliate, and all the top lifters or some of the top lifters go over this new affiliate and compete for, for to be able to go to worlds, it's going to be darn near impossible unless they get some some high funding from a sponsor or something to be able to uh, uh, grow at a rate to be able to compete with the USAPL local scene.
2: Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. I mean, that's been my to go back to the first thing you said. That's been my perspective of the, the argument of for the lifter is. I, I do believe both are acting for the lifter. Like Their, their, their actions are based in what they value, right? The, like you said, the USAPL values what they value, the IPF values what they value, and they're trying to put together the best possible package for those lifters. If you don't align with their values, then fuck off, go somewhere else. But I mean, I think you're exactly right. I think that in the event, which it, it's going to happen, it's just a matter of when uh, a new federation springs up, whether that's you know, in a couple months if the USAPL decides to leave or they serve the end of their suspension, the only people who are going to be drawn to this new Fed are the ones who want a path to worlds, which in the grand scheme of how many members the USAPL have is minuscule. So you're only really going to have a new federation that can just be a feeder to worlds. You're not going to have a new federation that's a presence in every state that's going to be putting on, you know, you're not going to have a... Uh, um, you know, uh, what's his fucking name? Holy shit. The TSS guy, it's like putting on meets every weekend for this new parent fed or, uh, you know, uh, USA, USA affiliate, right? It's going to just be, uh, okay, we have our little nationals and now you go to Worlds kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not going to grow to the same size as the USAPL because people compete in the USAPL for what we have in terms of presence what people have in terms of meat quality, what people have in terms of, you know, already existing membership and, you know, your communities that you have that are, you know, USAPL uh, certified gyms or whatever, right? It's like there's been a whole community built for the 99% and that's not going to go away. No one's going to, no one will have any incentive to leave the USAPL to go compete for a new Fed that's started by, you know, Keller or whoever the hell is going to go about doing that. Yeah. And I, I don't even think most of the top lifters, like, it'll only be a select
1: few who'd want to go compete just to get to Worlds. Yeah, it's, it's not even of those, 100% of them. Yeah, because a couple things of a reason why is I think it's been overblown that, like, the Virginia Pro is about money. The Virginia Pro is not about money. It's about literally having the, the most back, competitive back. meat on the planet. Yeah. It also has cash prizes. Yep. And guess what, Sean? I think we talked about this. I think you can relate. When a couple people drop out and now you see that you can now win $5,000, people are going to step into that. And if they have the choice of going over to this new federation to get third place at nationals, or they can stay in the USAPL and win $10,000 at this meet, they're probably going to stay and want to win $10,000. And the bulk of that competition will kind of, I don't know if I'm I'm saying that right, but like we talked about in the last podcast, if someone leaves and isn't going to claim that money, someone else is going to happily hop in and take it. Yeah,
0: 100%. Well, yeah, that's what I said with uh, the, the initial thing is, like, if people decide to leave for the IPF affiliate, then awesome, I have a chance now to win money. Thank you guys for doing that for me. Like, that would, like, I, I'm, I'm not really rooting against it, per se. Like, I would obviously like the competition to stay, but it's not the worst thing in the world if they just made a potential path for money a little bit better. And also, Steve, what you said is um, something I kind of want to echo I think the whole pro series has been mislabeled as it's all about money. I think the pro series success is going to rely on a professional product, high production value field. And that's why, and that's why it would succeed. I think if it's just like, okay, we're throwing cash at lifters now, it's like, okay, like it's, it's good that, you know, potential more lifters are going to be paid, uh, for their accomplishments. Um, but I would rather see the pro series have a step up in production value and more competitiveness within the
2: pro division, as opposed to just here's some money.
0: Congratulations yeah. I mean, for winning.
2: Yeah, I mean, I personally like to just to give my stance. Like, I care infinitely more about winning than a, a cash prize. I mean, like, yeah. I have plenty of ways I can make money. I don't. I don't need to, to rely on on competing at powerlifting meets. But it's it's really funny how like you know. Primetime was eliminated this year and people were pissed. Primetime was introduced in 2016 and people thought it was the greatest thing ever. Highlighting the high-level lifters at these meets has been like the goal for everybody. Like people love the fact that there was a delineation between the main sessions at nationals and then having prime time where it's just the best of the best. And that is the, the main goal of having a pro series, right? It's to highlight and bring more attention to the high-level lifters. And all throughout the years while we've been doing that all I've ever heard is people bitch and complain that the USAPL doesn't give any money to people, mm-hmm. right? It's like, "Oh, nobody gets anything. Look at these other countries, they get paid, they get their flights taken care of, they have they get their uniforms paid for whatever." While I do think that we should have gotten that all taken care of, it's just funny that now the USAPL has the means to be able to really give serious payouts and it's like, "Oh, this is, you know, this is all that it's about." I mean, in my mind like the pro series is I think it's I think it's a fantastic idea. Like I, I genuinely think that it makes the sport all the more watchable when you have, you know, anticipation being built between matchups and, you know, in a more in a more consistent basis, right? It's not just the one time a year, it's you keep people engaged all year round. There's you know incentive for, for lifters to compete a bit more frequently. Um, and it's not it's not necessarily the money, right? It's like if you have two or three meets a year where you can go up against your rival. I think that that makes the sport better. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, I mean,
1: we talked about multiple times there's recency bias of people having direct emotion because of world being right in front of our face. Next year, when we're in Vegas and Nationals is what Nationals always is and is this amazing production, and then we're going to have these multiple pro series and it's going to be capped off by the Arnold of this Super Bowl that is seemingly going to be like our Sheffield on home turf. And then this supposed new affiliate is going to have their – 80 lifter nationals on with a just a small little banner in the backdrop, maybe in a CrossFit gym, because that's all they can afford. Like that's maybe a, a bit extreme, but w- what lifters going to want? I mean, I feel like that's going to be the trump card. Once that happens, like who's going to want to waste their time to only go to one meet a year that has any level of production and prestige and then give away all the stuff that is going to be in front of us with that USAPL can
2: afford to do. Yeah. we're Like I said, we're, we're at the start of the, the USAPL bull market here. I think that there's, there's so much that's, that's coming ahead. Um, and I think that if you, if you leave, you're, you're making a, a premature decision. I think that you're not going to have what you, what you think you're going to have. And, it's just like you said, you know, it's, it's the, the emotions from wanting to cling to Worlds and a lot of uncertainty with, you know, whether or not we get to have those again, um, COVID stuff, like, you know, there's just a lot, of, a lot of emotions. But when you clear them away, I think that if your goal, which I think even for the people who want to go to Worlds, the fundamental goal underlying it is competition, I, I, I don't see the USAPL not being the place for that. Mm-hmm. I will say one thing you guys get your opinions here.
1: I think there is a development in the sense of international competition going into this year that there hasn't been for the last two or three years. And that's France. Yeah. I don't think we've had another country. We had individual lifters scattered wherever there finally actually is another country in France that is competitive against the U S now they are more competitive on the female side. They arguably are better than us on the female side. Yeah. We, we trump them on the male side. Now, I do think that is a selling point. And if there's someone that wants to say uh, at this point now, because of this development with France, that international competition holds more prestige and I want to stick with the IPF, I can see somewhat of an argument there. And that's where if it wasn't for France, I think this would be a lot easier decision where France is kind of this car that the IPF has and can dangle in front of us.
2: Yeah. I think, I think if you're a female lifter in the USAPL, you probably are going to be more frustrated with this situation than on the male side. Cause I think that there are a lot of really talented female lifters who compete in the U S with the USAPL on the international stage. Whereas the disparity is a bit bigger on the men's side. Like I know with Daniela, like I've had this conversation with her, like she wants to compete against Jess Butner. Like that's who she wants to compete against. Right. That would be a, a great matchup in the 76s. There are, you know, <laughs> Leah is arguably I think probably with the trajectory that she's on might end up just being the best female lifter by points down the road. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that there's a very strong argument to be had there. And like I said, I think if you are a, a female lifter in the USAPL, it is probably more frustrating because there is a lot to conquer on the international level. Um, what I will say, though, is that from what I've heard, and again, this could just be rumors, but what I've heard is that the pro series is leaving the door open for international competitors to come compete with us. And if that's the case, granted you would probably receive a ban from your IPF affiliate if you did that. But if time passes and you see that IPF worlds is not really, you know, as competitive as you might expect it to be, you know, either without the U S or just in general and everything's popping off on the U S side, and someone says, okay, Leah, okay, Sam, okay, uh, you know, Jess, want to come to this pro-invitational meet? You'll get to compete against the next, you know, the next best or the best-ranked female in your weight class, and you have a chance to win money, and you're guaranteed, you know, it's going to get 50,000 views on, on YouTube, right? It's like I, I kind of find it hard at that point to, to pass that up, and I think that that's leverage that the USAPL could potentially have. The tough part with France, though,
1: uh, they get government stipends. Those mm. so athletes are paid through their government to be a world's team member. And Got so it. that is where the tough part is. Now, Jessica Bittner, maybe that's easy. I don't know about Canada. Um, the fact of the matter is she's kind of, eh, I guess Canada has a couple of good lifters, but she's kind of far and above the one Canadian lifter that's highly competitive. I, I would think she'd be a bit easier, not only geographically, but based off a scenario to get down here and compete. Again, going back to France being IPS, one little thing they can dangle in front of us. I don't think any French lifters are going to move over for that reason that they, they get it. Sounds like from when we had Panda on the episode, they get a decent stipend to compete at the world level. Really? Yeah. I don't
2: think that's good Yeah. But that's
1: also why I could very well see, like, a lot of these other countries are like, USA feels stupid. They're spoiled rotten. Well, that's cool. Your lifters get government stipends to compete at Worlds. Our lifters have to pay out of pocket to go to Worlds because the, the government doesn't recognize any really, very any of our sports, really, even the Olympic ones, to get, yeah. I mean, weightlifting doesn't even get government stipends anymore. Yeah. Um, they're an Olympic sport. So, like, there's, there's a different value put on Olympic competition and world-level competition when your government's funding you to do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure.
0: Well, I do know that France is also, just based on my conversations with a few of the French lifters. they're just highly competitive in that sense too. But I think that almost works both ways in a way because, okay, there's a financial incentive, but really their competitiveness to compete against the best of the world is also there and it's quite strong. So potentially, like say the IPF Worlds gets a little stale, gets a little bit worn out, the alternative is that potential Pro Series. I'm not ruling it out of uh, like possibility that you know someone like Pana, someone like Leah is just like, all right, I've won worlds enough times, I've got enough money. Now it's just I want to go against this lifter or that lifter, and I think America still has the ability to develop more, more and more talented lifters as years go on, where it I mean, will. No, go ahead. Sorry. Where it will become a really just a very, it just highly incentivizes people coming over internationally
2: yeah i mean that's i mean we do this with all professional sports yeah right like no one no one in any sport wants to compete in their sport not in the u.s yeah yeah that's like in like that, the ufc for example like i think that obviously we don't have anywhere near the funding to, at this point <laughs> to create something like the ufc but i think that that from like a marketing standpoint is just so so good at just drawing talent to want to compete in the U S. And I think that if they, if they get things right and you know, I've had this stance forever. So I'll say it, you know, on the record, I really do think that the USAPL needs to bring in younger administration, you know, just in terms of like bringing more people on who are just in tune with the things that we're talking about into roles that are, you know, relevant to, to marketing and and media and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, because I think if they if they can take this in the right direction, I really do think that there will be uh, potential for that for that draw and almost you know transform it into a you know like a, a U.S. <laughs> sport essentially. Um, you know, like I have a lifter in down in Australia who is you know very very strong seventy four. Like he's in a circumstance now where it's just like his options to compete are just so like limited or just kind of lame. Where he's like. The second the pro series opens up to an international, lift, he's like, I'm there. He's like, I'll take the flight to the U.S. I don't care where it is. He's like, I want to compete with the best 74s. Mm-hmm. So I think that there there probably are pockets of people who who share that sentiment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like, it, like that's the case with all the American sports. Is just opening up to other people. Like that's I, I think that's the. Uh, that's the issue, I think, with just relying on the IPF. It's just like you have this certain – you have these rigid set of rules that you have to follow, which I think to a lot of people, it I, I don't see that lasting that long. In my, my perfect scenario, we would still have international competitions, but along with professional series like we do in all other professional sports where you can play in the NBA, but you also can play in the Olympics. Like I, that's that would be my you know perfect scenario for it, but it doesn't look like that's possible. Also, I mean, with the, I think uh, a lot of this also relies on just the USAPL nailing the pro series as well, because I think we're all saying these things, but I think it's just going to come down to better business practices and creating a product that's just better. You have to still be in competition with the IPF to somehow one up them and what they do. And to bring it to the lifter. And I think that that is the part where I'm just I'm, I'm putting all my focus on is I'm siding with the USAPL on this. I've always valued professional sports. But if they don't really nail this pro series, like that's where I see the issue coming. Cause I still think people will stay in the USAPL, but there'll be this weird schism where it would turn into people like it would just further divide the sport of powerlifting and it'll just turn into another federation. And then it doesn't hold that value like, it, and it'll just be the I think one of the biggest powerlifting problems, which is just too many federations with lack of identity. Now, I yeah. don't know if
1: this I don't know if this would happen, but it, it, it's it, well, Sean kind of mentioned it. People are always ragging on the USAPL for not giving money away at meets, and they're saying I'm going to the USDA instead. But well, with make this any Pro money. Series, do we pull back the other way now? I don't know. I still think it mainly depends on who dominates at the local level. Because I mean, like from where I'm at, there's not very many USAPL meets. There's a ton of USPA meets, so a bunch of people do USPA drug tested just because it's it's within their traveling distance. But I, I almost wonder if there's if we create a path to money that's greater than the untested side, do we start deterring people from going that route? hopping on steroids and instead staying in the tested realm because now if they value the money aspect they go towards that because it, it seems like the tested people they value two things money or the untested money and just setting some type of unofficial world record which now they could in a sense do in a pro series format or people
0: just want to take steroids are they just going to take steroids whether they're because they want to. I, just my opinion of it, I just don't think people take steroids because they want to win money because the USPA is just throwing out money left and right. I have yet to see a USPA like local meet give money away. And I was told when I got into sport, if you do a USPA meet, they're going to give money out eventually. It hasn't. I haven't seen it on a consistent basis. That is one of the biggest myths in powerlifting is that the untested side just gives you a whole lot of avenues to earn money i
2: haven't seen it yet i've seen big no, I mean, meets
0: i have seen yeah, the big they definitely meets aren't, to down.
2: there definitely aren't a lot of avenues but they definitely were the first to do so yeah. and at this point still give out the most um no but steve i, I think that that's definitely possible i do because like you know for you know and it, it, it could be in really small amounts too right like it could be you know, if you have someone who lives in your area, Steve, right, and they are competing USPA normally because geographically that's the closest, maybe their local gym is hosting a USA, USPA meet and they have to drive maybe two hours to get to a USAPL meet, but they have the opportunity to win $250, $500, $750. It's like, wow, I covered my gas and my hotel and still have some to spare. Like, yeah, I'm going to go USAPL. And and I think that that's a, a very, a very real possibility. Um, Angelo, to address what, what you said before Steve spoke, I mean, I think that's why the free the free market's great, right? Like, I think both of these federations have now would have, you know, a lot of money to do stuff with. And and I think that just whoever comes up with the better product is going to win out. Um, and I kind of side with, with the USAPL because I think that... At least up until this point, I think that the production value and media from the USAPL has been, from the USAPL inherently has been better, Um, and they have the competition on their side, right? Like, just the talent pool. I think a lot of what we've seen from, like, increased production value on the IPF side has been from, like, private companies that sponsor the IPF, Um, but, like, the USAPL brings on Louis... uh, I forget the name of his business. It's like Audio Electronica or something like that. I can't remember the name. But it's like the USAPL is actively taking their own steps to put money forth to create better production value. And that was still while, you know, getting, getting crushed for, you know, 300K or whatever they are a year to the, to the IPF. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you are right. I think, that, I think that there's a possibility that, that there is a, a break. I just, I just don't think there, there will be. One, because I think the USAPL will do things better production value-wise. And two, like I said at the beginning of this call, the fundamental reason people want to do Worlds is the level of competition and overcoming that to be the best. And at least on the men's side, I can confidently say that that will not be – the Worlds will not hold that weight. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's also just valuing not so much 1 through 3 but like 5 through 10 too. Just like that range as well. I think that's something that's, I think that's something the pro series can really utilize, because I think the uh, financial conversation that's been had is if you do the SBD route, you're going to make a lot of money, which you will, you will make that, but that's rewarding like one person in a weight class. Of course, you have the opportunity to do that, but I've I've always liked the possibility of paying more lifters who are also great lifters, but they're just not number one. Um, I've been, I had this conversation before where I, it's like, well, the SVD route is more valuable. Like, well, I was offered a sponsorship when I was out of the top 10. I needed, I wanted to make money when I was still a good lifter and I didn't want to have to win nationals in order for SVD to recognize me. Like I wanted to support another company and still have that financial gain there. But I think with a pro series, you can potentially reward your top 10 type of people who are amazing, who are fantastic
2: lifters. Well, what I was going to say is like uh, the SPD route, I don't think guarantees you as much money as people (laughs) might think. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily life changing money that they give even their best lifters. Um, And even then the only carrot they really had to dangle was Sheffield. And now we, I think we equalize that. Like the money that they're claiming could be put forth to winners is literally equivalent well, to what was promised for for Sheffield. Well, yeah, exactly. So this is like kind of my point where
0: I think it's been it's been said before. It's been said, I believe, on King of Lifts where that route. And it, like, if you're just looking at just like based on a really simple way, it is for a lot of lifters like a good sponsorship to have, and they're going to make a lot more money than they would be. But in a pro series sense, you could have your sponsorship. The money, your multiple sponsorships, if you're a good lifter, you know, happens. You have that. Then you have the money that you're winning from potentially a few meets a year as opposed to just potentially one. And Mm -hmm. you have to win that one. It's just you're getting more money into the lifters' hands who are still very good lifters. But they're not, like, they're not the best overall lifter in the world. And you get a shit ton of money for doing that. It's For me, it's, like, rewarding just... Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, for winning the NBA championships. Like, okay, you guys are the only ones getting paid this year. Like, it will be fucking crazy to see. I bet the competition in the NBA would be amazing if you're like, the only people getting paid this year is the champions. That would be crazy, but at the same time, it just, I don't think it's a great business model. And
2: that's why yeah. I think is being held right now is for the IPF is. like, Do you think a sponsor, because, like, I think we can all agree, SPD kind of, like, is a, it kind of transcends the, the realm of, of sponsorships. Like they're they're almost like the 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 big business or like big pharma of uh, <laughs> of sponsors. Do you foresee there being like any any sort of uh uh like stronghold the IPF has on SBD that would like forego them from sponsoring like USAPL events or vice versa?
0: If the SBD says yes to that, they're doing shitty business and. They would be better off having their hands in USPA, USAPL. Wherever there's good powerlifting, SBD should be involved in it because it's it's better to have more people as opposed to very, very select few people. And no, especially I- when, like, so I think I if the IPF creates that, then they'll be like, well, they potentially could just be losing their biggest sponsorship, the SBD, because I don't see SBD being like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like that'll be a great way to make money for us. Like I don't I don't see that happening. So, um, if they do say yes to it, it's it's bad business and I think it's also bad business on the IPFS part to even like come forward because that might lead to a sour relationship with a strong partnership that they have with
2: them. Yeah, I mean, I was yeah, I was just curious, honestly. I don't know.
1: I'm, I'm hoping. I don't know how much SPD lays claim into Sheffield being like a game changer for them outside of more so a game changer for powerlifting. But if they think that's a game changer for them, I could see them looking at these pro series as a direct competition that then invalidates the need for Sheffield. And so, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, we'll see kind of which way they go. I mean, if there's a sponsor that has some pull, they do. And they can kind of decide. And it it wouldn't surprise me if they're going to say Sheffield is our thing and we're going to start trying to drive – are, uh, influenced
2: that way. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, I guess the the reason I ask that is, is exactly what you're saying, because I know, you know, I know USAPL lifters who are either at the top and or sponsored by SBD and they've spoken with them and they're like, yeah, well, you can't do Sheffield if you're going to stay in the USAPL. Mm -hmm. Right. So it is, it is direct competition. Um, you know, logistically it doesn't work cuz of the suspension but also you know like you're saying it's you know if you have a uh, an event that you're pouring a ton of money and resources into that you probably lost some money on trying to run it in 2020 and then not having it happen it's like you're you're this is your this is your project that you need to make sure that you can make the best that it can possibly be and make it as profitable as you need it to be and if you're you know essentially losing out on the talent that would bring you or create the ability for you to even host that event, which is all the SBD-sponsored USAPL lifters, like, it'd be kind of, you know, you'd have to engage in some sort of competition to try to bring them over. And I know I know people who are like, you know, like I've talked to Joey about it with some of his lifters. It's, you know, they're like, well, shit, I'm not going to be able to do Sheffield in 2023 if I don't denounce the USAPL in 2021 slash 2022. One of my I, – I have a big hesitancy with the
1: idea of Sheffield, and the reason is – It's in Sheffield. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, I, I, this isn't a negative towards SBD. This is a negative towards sponsor-hosted massive meets. They typically don't last because unless the sponsor starts seeing uh, the ability for that meet to start generating more revenue than the meat costs them – Yeah, it's going to be hard for that to be sustainable. That's what we see on the untested side. These sponsors come in. We have these big money meets. They don't get their return on investment. They pull out. These money meets go away. The only we've argued this multiple times on this podcast, the only way we can make sustainable revenue that is given to lifters is through a federation providing it, a.k.a. the NFL providing it, a.k.a. Major League Baseball providing it, a.k.a. USAPL providing it. USPA has been very hard on that. They're not going to provide that, which is why everyone went towards WRPF, and then they're getting these sponsors, but then we see these meets last two or three years and die off. I would be very worried if SPD doesn't see over $300,000 returned to them through product sales. How are they going to keep that up? versus I just see the pro series as a much more sustainable business model since the actual members of the organization are funding it, not a sponsor funding it. Yep.
2: And as sponsors come in, then it's even bigger, but it doesn't rely on the sponsors. Yep, Exactly. That The business model of the federation is you're always getting money into the system. And, you know, SPD has been very profitable. And, you know, like you said, it's not a knock on SPD. SPD has been very profitable, but, like, you know, that business model doesn't exactly leave room for – being able to just continuously fund these events that are going to bleed them cash. It's like people can only buy so many pairs of knee sleeves, so many belts, so many wrist wraps. It's Mm -hmm. not exactly, you know, uh, a, uh, some sort of, you know, lucrative subscription service or anything. It's uh, yeah, there's going to be limitations. And I think that you would not be able to give away cash at the frequency that you, or at the frequency that you'd like and at the magnitude that they're promising. If, I, I agree. I, I, don't, I don't see it being a repeatable event. And if there's not cash attached to Sheffield, is it
1: lucrative, Is it prestigious at all? Like does, what's, is there a reason to travel overseas to compete against 15 other lifters? Yeah. Or is the cash the only thing?
2: I mean, like I said, the cash is the only thing because, well, the cash is one of the only things, and the other big thing is that it hasn't happened yet. When it was first introduced as an idea... We had never seen cash being give out, given out at this magnitude on the tested side of the sport. And it promised to bring together all the elite lifters. The fact that we haven't seen it happen yet, I think is the only reason that people are even considering it. I guarantee if Sheffield had already happened, like let's say COVID wasn't a thing, Sheffield happened in 2020, I don't think anybody would have a hard time deciding between this. Because you would have seen what happened. It would have been great. But there's no there's no mystique behind it you'd recognize that it's not a sustainable thing to do and and you you'd see that everything that sheffield promises you can get out of the usapl plus not having to travel plus being able to do it multiple times a year if you wanted to plus being able to compete against the best lifters in your weight class not just you know the the hand-picked 12 to 15 competitors overall i just yeah i I think that i think that it's going to be better on this side Well, I will say, just as an outsider looking
0: in on Sheffield, if I was, say, invited to do it and cash, like, even if the cash prize wasn't as high, or even if you have no cash, I would probably be still inclined to do it because it just looks cool. And it is the best of the best. And I think powerlifters still value that. Um, I don't think it's sustainable, though. I think once it happens, it's like, that's it. Like, you can't consistently do that. It won't be like the Olympia where it happens every year. Um, but initially, like when I saw Sheffield and they didn't have money involved in it, and there was a, you know, a, some sort of, I don't know what they were, I, was it a concert hall or something, or like some other venue, like where it's actually aesthetically pleasing and looks like a professional sporting event, that would incline me to go compete. Not necessarily, if money wasn't a thing, I, I would still probably compete at that meet. Once, though.
1: Yeah. So to flip. Things a little bit, because I think we've talked a lot about like things USAPL would need to do to succeed. What what would be their downfall? Where where do we see the opposite happening where USAPL like it, this is what they're gonna do that's gonna go wrong? It's going to eventually lead to their turmoil, the affiliate's gonna rise up, take over, and then we're just all gonna eventually switch over doing, to the new IPF affiliate.
0: Well, I gotta ask this just really quick. Sean, if Russ decides to do the new U.S. affiliate, would you go and bet affiliate and try to beat him?
2: The new U.S. affiliate. So I think it would depend on what the situation would be with the U.S.A.P.L. Um, because, like, for to backtrack a little bit, like I've had I've had people ask me. Like Joey included, Daniela included. Like, oh, um, would you consider doing, you know, US Virgin Island nationals to have a chance? One to compete against Russ because that looks looks like where he's leaning, and two to compete against him potentially at Worlds if USVI decided to take you both or something like that, right? And I just I, I said no because one, I I don't want to represent another country like you know USVI or whatever. Like I'm not just off principle. Like I'm not usvi so i'm not going to represent usvi but also like with the with the suspension rule it's like i'm not going to forego my entire team because i do coach and like i count it up i have like probably almost 30 people on my roster trying to do raw nationals next year and that would be be selfish and also i just don't even want to to do that right it's like because i think that russ will be back and i think everybody will be back i'm not going to like play this little scrambling loophole game, you know, to, and, and miss out on being able to coach my, my lifters, um, you know, for the sake of this, this meet, I think they're going to be, you know, more meets in the future, but for a new affiliate, I think, like I said, I think it would really depend on what happens with the USAPL because like, if, you know, the IPF decides that like there was a, a, a fracture in bad faith and you can't be associated with the USAPL, um, and compete in an IPF affiliate at the same time, then I probably wouldn't go because literally my entire livelihood and the whole team that I built is in the USAPL, so that just would not be worth it to me. Um, so yeah, I mean that that would be the big determining factor for me. Obviously, for most other lifters, like if you brought Delaney on, and conversely, if we asked you, Angelo, right? Like I, I think you guys wouldn't have that as a as a concern to necessarily worry about but that's that's kind of where I stand in, in the event that that weren't an issue um I don't know I'd, I'd have to think about it I would probably just based on my own desires in this sport I would say that I just want to compete against the best lifters so I would probably consider that um but yeah I'm not I'm not even thinking about that right now like I said that I think that a lot of decision making is so premature on all of this mm-hmm.
0: yeah I would I would probably share the same thing I would stay with the USAPL because I think it's just better for the long term and also I think there's enough competitors here to to legitimately claim yourself as the best 83 in the world if, yeah. even if Russ leaves like if Russ leaves but like we retain you know you Delaney I mean even Deuce kamar like that's a fantastic Lineup to go up against, and I, I would still you know value that. But um, and if you guys all leave, potentially I could win money, which is uh, fantastic. <laughs> so, but I mean, I, I guess some of the drop dead issues that could potentially make me leave the USAPL. I think I think it was. I mean, if we go way back when into these podcasts we did with Marcellus and Joe Steve, it's just if the USAPL does not really develop this as serious as they should. If it's just a, here's some money, it's like every meet is just, or every national meets is going to have some money attached to it. And they don't do anything with trying to up the production value of nationals or those national level meets if they don't really try to uh, incentivize lifters to stay. So I just don't think money is the thing. I think providing a professional product is the thing that will keep me on. If they don't do that, then... I will maybe I will think about leaving to the U.S. affiliate because maybe they are going to be on the steps of doing it better, um, and this and this is true. Like Nationals live stream needs to change. I'm not happy with the quality of the Nationals live stream. I think it's not USAPL. Uh, it doesn't meet the the standards of USAPL because they do pride themselves on high production value. They do a very good job of in the meet itself. I think spectator wise it's great. But the live stream, for all the people who have to view the meet, that's what they need to improve upon. Um, I think they need to improve on just their general marketing as well. Um, I also think just the whole commentating situation as well. That goes along with the live stream, but you know, call someone for it in advance. Uh, make sure you tell them three months in advance so they can do their research. Uh, that kind of stuff where I think in the past they dropped the ball on. If that continues to happen and there's not enough developments there, then I will be looking towards a new venue competing because I, you know, it just it. You still need to progress. You, I know, and I know it's not going to happen overnight, but you still need to progress as a federation. Um, yeah. I like what I see, but
2: the developments still need to happen. Yeah, and I think, and I think I've said this on one of your earlier podcasts, like one of maybe the first or second one that we did, maybe the one we did with Russ, probably the one we did with Russ, which is that. And I said this today as well, that the USAPL, I think, needs to bring in younger, you know, um, younger people to fill roles that are relevant to how we expand this federation. Um, Like one of the, I guess, one of the, I guess, issues that I see with how things are run is like, it's very, it's very hierarchical to make your way up the ladder in terms of positions, right? Like, it's not like, there aren't a lot of democratic votes for positions that are not like kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for um just for show like athlete reps and stuff like that like they don't they don't really do too much you know what I mean like i think i think that if there are positions that they either open up to to more you know kind of democratic voting or just create new positions that are going to be relevant to this i think they'll be um i think they'll be more successful in that regard like what if, one of the things that I saw from this past national like, you know, they still have the like restricted media thing, which I think is, is holding them back in a big way. Somebody sent me their meat package photos and you literally can see a fingerprint smudge on the picture. And like all of the pictures were like flat as shit. Like they just, I, I, I the, the, whatever independent company was brought on, I, I just think just didn't do a, a great job. Um, but i think those are like the situations where like if you just have the either the voices or the actual you know or somebody young and and kind of in this space actually has power to do something i think that that is going to increase the likelihood of a of a positive dire- you know moving in a positive direction with regards to this like you know you guys had you guys had talked about like the whole twitch bullshit you know and tyler one and and you know how you can draw a crowd and thus, you know, draw money and all this sort of stuff. Like, I think they just need to, to get hip. And I think that that'll be a, a good move in the in the right direction.
1: So I was thinking, I, I'm, I might forget them now, because I was trying to remember as we're all talking. Uh, the things that I probably see, I mean, there's probably more than this, of potential downfalls of where they could go wrong, is I think one, and this kind of encompasses all of it, is if they, if they focus on trying to suppress IPF competition versus just growing what they have, that could be a big downfall. They just need to worry about themselves and growing their product and make it better than anything that's been seen and people will follow. Let people follow you versus trying to push down someone else. Um, Two, uh, there needs to be, if the new affiliate pops up, they should be a a high emphasis on local meat director retention of how can they incentivize meat directors to stay with them? Um, I will say, I mean, from knowing, like, from other federations, USAPL, uh, the ability to have contact with the national office as a local meat director is much better um, than a lot of other federations. They do give a great deal of support, um, but if we were to lose any of our uh, big local meat directors that are people that are hosting monthly meets, that would be a big loss, Um I do think that, like you said, Sean, uh, allowing, continuing to suppress free market um, and the mines coming in. um, I I cannot imagine they make more money off of their individual media rights than they do if they allowed all of these people and YouTubers and all these people coming in and create the content they want, allow Johnny to come in and make a documentary about nationals like he seemingly has always wanted to. That kind of stuff would have such much better outreach. And then my last thing, and this is, this is probably, this might be one of my biggest worries, is, is our kind of carrot we can dangle as Nationals is, in my opinion, the best meat in the world. Um, I think that trumps IPF Worlds in the sense of level of production and at least at minimum matches it level of competitiveness. I think we all were understanding that this year, it was going to be slightly different because of COVID. Unfortunately, I feel like next year seems to be the same format. And I'm worried that uh, their money maker and where they should really push all of the growth, which the pro series is, is the Raw division. But if somehow Raw has to share their time at Nationals with bench only and single ply, and somehow we are now shoved into three days with no prime time on two platforms, with Taylor pulling on one platform and Russ pulling on the other, terrible commentating because it's just all over the place. That could ruin nationals, which then would open the door for people not sticking with USAPL because of this product that has in sense trumped everything else that has been available to us.
2: Yeah, that that's definitely a concern of mine because I, I I know the the demographic of all the you know the higher ups in the USAPL, and I think that that's what leads to the allegiance to to single ply. But that really is like the the big the big damper on on growth because like the way that like you said we almost we get we gave it a handicap this year because of covid for how it was laid out it in all reality didn't need to be because of covid i don't think that's a real excuse but i think that we just we just kind of accept it but like you said i think if that if that happens again um it's it's gonna be that could be you know that could be a big downfall for the USAPL.
0: Well, I'm also curious as how they do Nationals, then, because it's not capped. Nationals is not capped this year. It was capped because of COVID last year. So, do we know that for sure, though? Have they but, said I mean, it's not capped? I, I would have... So, attending the, uh, the NGB, they need a lot of lifters to be at Nationals. It's just, it's financially good if more n- lifters are there, because that will... Uh, that'll raise the production value and that'll put more money into the USAPL. But are they? I, I would be surprised if they go back to the top three, get you an know, uh, invite, and top three from the year past will get invite. That was the weird part of it initially, where I think where the restrictions were lifted later, they could have easily just had a nationals that we're used to. Um, so I don't know exactly if there'd be a cap... But there was this year. But assuming there isn't a cap, which again I would just assume there wouldn't be one, you would have to structure nationals completely different. So that's why I think there could potentially be a possibility of prime time hopefully being the raw lifters and will actually generate that interest and revenue because I mean if you look at the live streams last year, that's what prime time was. It was just opposite of the time. It was eight AM. The highest rated weight classes were at 8 a.m. when they should have been at 5 p.m. That's what they need to do differently. And I think with more influx of lifters coming in, because I think it will be more of a nationals that we're used to, they're going to have to do that. They're going to have to put what the lifters who you want to see in prime time or all the single ply lifters just leave towards the Virgin Islands, which... I was actually surprised how many single
1: ply lifters were very uh, loyal to USAPL. And I think that has to do with just longevity in the sport. And a lot of them have competed at multiple worlds. I was surprised. I thought there was going to be more single ply that was going to be very loyal to the IPF, which would have opened the door. Again, I think a great business decision, they're not going to do it, would, uh, I mean, you can't be the best at everything, be the best at one thing, be the premier raw powerlifting federation in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the IPF, there is one downfall of what they're doing is they're trying to push multiple sports and sense between single ply, um, versus raw. Um, and then all of the subclasses that then come into that. Um, I, it won't happen, but I, I think if they were to just switch to being raw only, which in reality, everything they're pushing to the pro series is
0: raw only. They could find a better marketing position in that. Also. Has there been a single Raw with Raps competitor in the USAPL yet? Because that's a division now. <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen one. Uh, I'm, I'm just... gonna I'm gonna compete just to get all the records.
1: I, I, I wasn't <laughs> planning on competing, but I might actually go squatting raps now just so I can be a state record holder. So
0: so you still have to beat all of the oh you can be a state record holder, but you still have to beat the old records. So Raw has those records for Raw with Raps. Okay, so I've got about six years and then I'm a master, so I'll look at the records then. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah, I oh, I do agree with you. I mean, I I think I mean, just again, attending the board meeting, all those the people there are single ply lifters, but they're they were pretty strong in the sense that we believe that the IPF doesn't look out for our interests and we want to separate. And most of those people there are single ply lifters. There's very few strict raw lifters there, but they just they are in support of the USAPL. I'm just uh I'm just assuming that they would have to if they're gonna. Which they were, they explained to me why they do national, why they want to do nationals in one week. It makes sense to me. It's about you know the volunteers that they have, the spotters and loaders not having to take two trips as opposed to just one, doing it all in one week. But you have more money, you pay them more. What's up? You have more money now. You can pay them more. Let's hope. Great I mean, time. if they have the, the fun, if they if they can do that. That'll be good, but I think just within the volunteers, there's like we don't want to take two trips. I'll tell
1: you straight up, if they keep I, I'm already voting every year. It should be in Vegas. They are not going to have near the difficulty getting volunteers to come out if they do it every year in Vegas.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I when they said Vegas, I, my eyes lit up and was just like, this is. I don't know where it's going to be in Vegas. Like that, the Vegas or South important. Africa? Which
1: one do you want to go to? Because isn't South Africa going through like some type of civil war or some type of
0: ridiculous political turmoil? I'm probably going to go to Vegas. IPF sometime. doesn't – I don't think they pick nations that aren't going through a yeah. <laughs> civil turmoil.
2: Yeah, we're, we're doing so well over here too. So
0: Yeah. Just avo- I mean that's the great thing about America. You just avoid certain areas and you're good. Like you can never have turmoil in Vegas. And as I say that, there's probably going to be some weird shit going on in Vegas during. Nationals. Well, I mean, you could have you could
2: have turmoil in Vegas. It just might be a different kind.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I do. Uh, I I did like seeing that. Just the difference of Sin City and Sun City. Just uh, the just balancing the two there. Um, but yeah, I, again, with I I do agree with you though, Steve. The whole Nationals thing is it's going to be very important because I. I still think that's why people stay in the USAPL. The the arguments I've been hearing, which I've heard too many of them, like I'm getting into too many arguments with IPF lifters, USAPL lifters, um, just seeing the two. Apparently there's been this thing that it's all about worlds for the USAPL lifter. Why would you compete if there's not an international possibility? And I just... I think most USAPL lifters compete for nationals. To qualify for nationals and just to spend that fun week with people in the USAPL. Because I think the argument works both ways, where the chances of you making a world team is very slim. Just if you want to get into powerlifting, it's incredibly slim. You can be a fantastic powerlifter and never make it on an open world's team. Um, You can have a 540 Wilks and not be on the world's team. And that's the case for most lifters. And they want to just still be in the USAPL so they have a chance to compete at nationals. Same thing with the Pro Series. People are like, well, how many people are going to get paid? Like, About the same uh, who makes it to the world's team. It's the same shit. The best people get rewarded for what they do. Something I flipped on, and I actually, I think it was Chance's podcast
1: with Eric Bodhorn, he said the same thing that he's flipped. I think a lot of us argued for stricter qualification totals for nationals and to make it smaller. I think I'm going backwards on that. Um, for, but partially because they never made regionals a thing. Um, I thought if they are going to make qualifying totals higher at nationals, they needed this middle tier for that like average lifter to kind of work towards with a regional aspect. Again, I, I keep going back to a, a, the, the battleground is at the local level. That's where you win. And if you aren't going to be able to keep those local level athletes wanting to come back to go for something, it's going to be tough. And if you've got this qualifying total at 1,700 for a 93 kilo lifter, and the fact of the matter is, is most people aren't born with the ability to ever do that. There's only—I mean, you're going to—you're—you're you're not going to say you're going to know pretty quickly if you can do that. But like, there's people like myself that know they will never do that in their entire life, no matter what they do, even if I try to cheat and take steroids. I actually wouldn't be against them reverting back and going to a week-long raw nationals that opened itself up. Um, But within that somehow, like, we obviously had prime time, but maybe even expand on prime time so that there actually is kind of a tier where there's a qualification total to be at, like, the the top tier of nationals, and then there's this big national meet under it or something like that. I don't know. I flip-flopped on that. I was definitely make qualifying totals harder, and now I've gone backwards on that.
2: I have, I have always been a proponent of low qualifying totals for nationals because as long as I've been in this sport, with the exception of the very first year of being in the USAPL, there's been a prime time. And the way that I've always looked at it is that nationals is prime time. Everything else is an opportunity to have viewership and a great experience for everyone in the Fed. That's how you win over like you said, the majority that's how you went over the 99%. Give them something to aspire to that's still attainable, but we know that Nationals is the top 10, right? The National Nationals is not the 200 people in the weight class that are totaling, you know, 1283. But no one is going to travel or very few people are going to travel to a meet that they're not competing in. I think the best Nationals that I've ever been to are the ones that have had the most people there. Mm-hmm. It's always worked out that way. The uh, spectatorship and the and the vibe during competition is fantastic. The like camaraderie and community during the week, even when you're not competing, is fantastic. And I think that having low qualifying totals is the way that you get the best national meet. It doesn't need to be absurdly low, but I think that where it is now is I'm not going to say it's it's too high. Um, I, I think I don't have a good reference for what too high and too low is, unfortunately, but. Um, I'd never had an issue with them being lower and maybe a format for it that could work in the future is maybe you have, um, well, I guess maybe, maybe this wouldn't work, but just going to say it anyways, have the primetime sessions be on their own days. Like have the, the like amateur, I guess, run the first three days and then maybe the last two to three days just have the primetimes. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, just, each weight class that has their top ten, they all compete in a series of days after everybody else is gone. So everyone gets their competitions out of the way. They, you know, celebrate after they've competed and then they stay the next two, three days to watch the real competition happen.
0: Yeah, and you use the word there, amateur, like you actually can do that now. You can make that distinction with a pro series. Pro lifters this day amateur lifters this day like it actually does yield itself pretty good for that um also in just regards to the qualifying totals they don't necessarily work either um i think it was brought up at the the board meeting that they increased qualifying totals and lifters still qualify pretty easily for raw nationals it's just lifters are good like that's the thing they are they are going to get better And they are, it's something to either shoot for for them, and like they could definitely make that progress to get themselves in. And they, it has happened. Uh, They have they bought up the numbers. Like we increased qualifying totals from this year, this year, and this year, and more lifters qualified. Yeah. So it's not like it's set comically low. It's it's still a point. Just if lifters want something, they can do it, and that's actually like that's that's still kind of like reaffirms my point they really want to compete at nationals yeah they will work they will work their asses off to compete at nationals they will do what they need to do they'll make progress and that's something that's something you should examine there is just how they are able to up to qualifying totals and people are willing to work for it so usapl making decisions for those particular
2: people is is uh is logical yeah, I mean, this this coming year, I would imagine we're going to see, um, obviously, a higher attendance than this past year, but probably not the highest we've ever had, because I do think the qualifying totals are, like, just based on looking at my roster and seeing, like, who's trying to qualify, and, like, among the people I coach, like, knowing that certain lifters that I coach, I'm like, yeah, they're pretty strong, but then they're like, okay, I really need to have a good meet in order to qualify. I'm like, okay, these are actually sufficiently high. Um, I think this year we might see less than we've seen in the past, but, yeah, I mean, at the time where they first decided that power, that qualifying totals were too low and they decided that was really at the time where the sport really took off and progression just outpaced the increase. Um, I think at this point though, um, I think the, whatever increases or decreases they make are probably more like accurate or well-informed just because progress is not as, uh, I think as monumental as it was in like that 2016 to 2018 era where like a 600 pound deadlift went from like impressive to shit in like the 83 kilo weight class. So yeah, I mean I'm, I'm for low qualifying totals. I think that it just brings more hype to every event. And since we've always had, well not always, but since 2016 we have had the clear delineation of primetime and regular. I think that that, the argument that nationals needs to be pres- like prestigious, it kind of goes away because the prestige comes in the ranking and you being placed into a prime time slot. Yeah. Yeah. And you made, you made the, well, I, you made the number one point in my opinion
1: is that the spectators are the other competitors.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: That no one in Daytona Beach randomly showed up and was watching powerlifting that never heard of powerlifting before. There was yeah. a few. Crowds were actually pretty crappy at nationals. Yeah. Because yeah. another thing is, since it was since it was single ply bench only and raw, I didn't see those like shifting over. Like I mean, just honest, I didn't go watch single ply. I don't think single ply came and watched us. The crowds were pretty crappy. Yeah. And if we had a 2,000 lifter meet with a bunch of people that I mean necessarily aren't nationally competitive, but they are people that just want to go there for the experience, and they're probably going to spend the whole week there and make it a vacation, be able to watch every primetime session. That's what creates nationals almost almost just as much as those top ten lifters. Because I I would almost argue if all we did was have the top ten lifters show up and that was the entire meet, it wouldn't be near as fun as if we able to have all of those.
0: Yeah, it would suck. It would suck, and that was the biggest disappointment, I guess, for Nationals this year was just the lack of crowd. Um, I've said it many times on Two White Lights. I was not convinced of staying in the USAPL when I did my first Nationals, and then I did my first Nationals, and I had a blast. I was one of those – I was not a primetime lifter. I was one of those people watching primetime and had such a good time, and every single primetime had a – it was – very, very difficult finding a seat. That's how I was standing most of the time. Like, I did not find a seat. I think I found a seat once during those primetime sessions. And if you remove that, Nationals would suck. Like, it wouldn't be as special as it is. It'll be a great meet still, but not near the level of excitement, level of fun. And that's what it was. 2019 was just fun for me. I had a blast. I had a great time. And... A lot of other lifters did, too, and that is that is singularly the reason why I it in the USAPL, was 2019 Raw Nationals. All right, well, uh, I guess on that note, we've been talking for well over an hour. Thank you, Sean O'Reilly, coming on the show, unless you want to say something controversial to end up.
2: Yeah, it's, say something to, uh, to piss everyone off. Yeah, we no, need a graphic I for think... two
0: white lights, uh, something uh, that will get a lot of clicks. Ooh. Ha- no, I'll, I'll hashtag be, Sheffield I'll Food be, Sucks. Be, hashtag, be, oh yeah, that's I'll,
2: our hashtag. <laughs> That'll be a good yeah. one. UK Food Sucks. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have, you seen, have you seen the meme that's like a picture of, uh, it's just like a paper plate with like beans on it, and it's like, why Why are the Brits still eating like Germany is flying overhead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Because they were bragging about the food. I
0: The thing about English food is I've never heard an English person brag about English food. That's a, that's I, mean, a, I could I could fuck up some
2: fish and chips, man. That shit is
0: delicious. Well, yeah, that's like <laughs> That's like saying like chicken tenders and fish sticks like aren't good. Like that's equivalent to what fish and chips is equivalent to having chicken tenders and fries.
2: No, no. I think no.
0: Uh. Uh, dude, I I've, I've had a lot like I I when I was in the UK, like of course that's what you get. Meat pies is what I ate and fish and chips. I'm like Man, this tastes like exactly how I thought it. It's not like incredible. It's exactly how I thought it would taste.
2: Yeah, okay. That's fair.
0: Except meat pie was pretty good, though. Sounds gross. Meat pie was actually quite delicious.
2: No, I'm big I'm big on savory food, so I, they get a little bit of a pass for me. But
1: I, I've got something to ruffle some feathers real quick, because I, I believe Angela posted this yesterday, that Derek Jeter is the most overrated player in baseball history.
0: Yeah, I said in sports history.
1: Sports history?
2: Yes. What do you think about that, Sean? So so you're not going to like my – well, I feel like you said that because you thought you were going to get a rise out of me. But I thought I would. As a Yankee fan, I actually do agree. I, I'm a big fan of Jeter as a leader and a winner, but I think he's probably one of the most overrated baseball players of all time. And, I've always felt that way. And who is
0: the better player? Alex Rodriguez. Alex yes, Rodriguez I'm, was better at Derek Jeter uh, in every aspect of the game. Fielding, contact, power.
2: He was well, better than Jeter. Well, I mean, A-Rod, uh, Jeter finished his career with a 311 batting average. I think uh, A-Rod finished, like, 292 or something along those lines.
0: Yeah, but that's def- that was deflated. Like, how many times did Jeter win a batting title? Like, A-Rod was able to win batting no, title no, and hit, I'm, like, dude, 700 A-Rod home runs.
2: A-Rod is my favorite baseball player, just of all time, period. So, I'm, I'm on your side. But, uh, yeah... Steve, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't give you the uh, the outrage that you wanted. I I'm, I'm actually disappointed. A rods your favorite player,
1: I think he's garbage. <laughs>
2: that's so. That's that's a hill I'm willing to die on. But most people, uh, most people will agree with you on that. I don't know too many people oh. who like A-Rod. Yeah, so, he's A Rod. Yeah, he's don't an like, annoying I don't human. Like he's because like... I think he's a douchebag. But two, yeah. there's some bias here. It was always who's better,
1: Pujols or A Rod. That that was the argument for years. And as a, a
0: loyalist to Albert Pujols, I think he is the <laughs> greatest player of our generation. I, could, yeah. I, can now, I can understand that. Like, Pujols is up there. Uh, as far as, like, just players that I've watched. But all of those players that I'm, like, thinking of in my head were all better than Derek Heater In, like, some capacity. Like, during that era, like I could think of, like, 20 players who were better, better than Derek Heater. He's a, a fantastic talent, but... Baseball fans talk to me like Derek Jeter was, like, the player of the decade or, like, of that he, 20 years. I'm like, a,
2: you're crazy for romantic, thinking that. He's a romantic player to talk about because all of the metrics that people evaluate Jeter on aren't actually quantifiable. Like, you can't, like, I guess you can kind of identify, like, kind of qualify, quantify being, like, clutch. But it's, like, the leadership aspect, the winning aspect, the, like, clutch aspect, for the most part, are just far more subjective than, like... You know how many runs did you drive in? How many hits did you finish your career with? Like I think Jeter struck out in his like he's up there in like the like most strikeouts of any major league baseball player in history. Like he's very hot up there. Yeah, the the stats of like he's not a power hitter. Yeah, (laughs) 400 less than A Rod though. A Rod finished his career with 694 home runs. Yeah, like that's yeah. Like if you're a power, yeah, if,
0: if you're a power hitter, like you should strike out more. Like the best, the leaders in strikeouts in baseball history are people who strike out a lot. Like it's it, it happens. But even if you look at like when I grew up, people considered him like the best fielding shortstop, and he was statistically the worst fielding shortstop like in the league by far. Um, and then. I could even, like, even leadership, captain role, like, ability to win. It must have been so hard winning with those Yankees teams, you know? You really had to grind your way through those insane (laughs) payrolls and those insane amount of All-Stars. Their infield was legitimately an All-Star team. I don't buy it for a second that A-Rod was, like, baseball's Michael Jordan where he just drove his athletes and drove the players. God, he's overrated on so—definite Hall of Famer. Fantastic player, one of the best I've seen just in that decade, but incredibly overrated as he's like the face of that decade. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, take that, Steve. <laughs> I, I think
1: I'm not disagreeing. I think both of them are overrated. I mean, I'm looking at Albert Pujols. He's basically matched home runs. He's got more RBIs. He's got 900 less strikeouts.
0: So Pujols' problem was he just played is playing too long.
1: Well, he should never have left St. Louis. Right? Yeah, that's... <laughs> He was garbage
0: in the AL. Uh, I think
1: St. Louis. He also was 43 when he came into the league, barring, it, regardless of what his birth certificate said. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, well, at the same time, I think St. Louis that was one of like the the the, the examples of how genius their organization. As, pay- as much as it pains me to say it, because I fucking hate St. Louis, but like <laughs> that's like the genius of their organization being like, oh, we're letting Pujols walk, and we're going to be. Still very successful as a franchise, and they did. Like it was a it was, it was genius to let them walk, but they I don't think they've done a great direction since they've been hanging on
1: to mediocrity since they eventually need to rebuild and build up their farm system. But we shall see. That's a different yeah. topic.
0: Yeah, actually, that will be because maybe the uh, the hashtag we used earlier was a bit offensive. Hashtag heater's uh, overrated.
2: <laughs> that, yeah, that'll be. I don't have anything. Uh, I don't have anything inflammatory to say, other than I am announcing the new coaches of my roster tomorrow. That's all I have to say. Fantastic. So when this episode drops, maybe we'll beat you to the uh, the, the
0: announcement. Is there like a time? Uh, I haven't decided on a time yet. No. Okay. But, uh, well, this will tomorrow. be early early in the morning on Friday when it drops, uh, so people can listen to it on their way to work or, and or school. So, all right, cool. people will be excited if you if you d- decide to do it like towards. The afternoon, people, you know, people may, uh,
2: may, may, maybe, even more interested. Yeah, no, you'll. De- people listening will definitely have heard this podcast before uh seeing the announcement. All right, fantastic. So, well, yeah, hopefully yeah. they
0: made it to this point though.
2: Yeah, I don't think anybody wanted to listen to our baseball talk. <laughs> yeah, I think we might have like drove away. Brandon, of- Bandit, Brandon, Brandon Petrie will. Okay, He's a he, is loyal, he is our
1: loyal listener. I still don't know his last name. I call him Petrie. We've talked about that. I'm just going to keep going with that because it sounds about sounds like land, land
0: before time. He is our loyal listener. He listens to, to every single one to the very end. The, wow. the funny thing is, though, one of our highest rated episodes is just simply us talking about football the entire time. I mean, I know we compared it to uh, powerlifting coaches, but it was heavy on the football still, so... I guess if there's enough sports fans out there, maybe they'll get appreciation for this. But with that being said, we are going to uh, finish off this interview. We'll see you guys next week. We have our IPF Worlds preview show coming up. That is going to be dropping Monday. So we cover it. We try to cover most most of the weight classes. Um, And uh, we'll give you more coverage on that soon. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.